As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll. Less work, more clean. Terms apply. The race is on, and Fernando Alonso is once again in the news for a possible return to the Renault team to take the seat vacated by Daniel Ricciardo. But how likely is it to happen? Does Renault really need him? What's in it for Alonso? And what is it about him that makes him such a great driver? I'm Ed Straw, and joining me to shed some light on one of the most divisive drivers in the history of Grand Prix racing is Scott Mitchell and Mark Hughes. Scott, hello. Uh, how, how's your uh, how's your sim racing career going? I, I'm sure our listeners are eager to hear because you you, you declined to talk about it on the last uh, podcast. I think. Yeah, at the moment I'm constantly being driven into. So my sim racing career is about as uh, representative of my. It's it's pretty representative of my uh, karting quotes career. Um, it's good fun. I'm doing. I've tried a few different things now. Uh, got a little bit of a career going on. I racing. I'm doing uh, GPV GPVWC championship in sort of a Formula Two car and championship setup. Um, my most recent race in that was in uh, Montreal Circuit de Villeneuve, which was uh, which would have gone really well, but it ended in me being protested by someone and protesting three other people. So I made a lot of friends um and then i'm next week or like i think the day after this podcast comes out i'll be making my touring car debut at donington park in like virtually obviously where are you planning on being fired off in in that race uh i reckon i i'm, I'm gonna try and make Redgate. i think someone like me is primed for a monster crane of curve shunt i've been fired off in a race at donington park on the main straight at the start okay so i'm basically not going to turn to you for advice for this one then I wouldn't do, but then again, if you know, if just two cars just squeeze into you and uh, beat you into the wall, what can you do? Uh, Mark Hughes, how are you? I, I presume you've not you've not had a sudden onset sim racing career. So, what have you been up to? Um, no, I've been. Uh, what have I been doing? Um, I've been riding my bike. Um, I've been reading. Um, not not at the same time. That's no, extremely that's, dangerous. That would be ridiculous. Um, um, quantum physics and then Kennedy assassinations, if you must know. Yeah. That's what you've been up to. <laughs> no, that's what I've been reading about. <laughs> but are you entwining the two? <laughs> no, no, there's no link as far as I know. <laughs> New conspiracy theory. <laughs> you, you've you've uh, you've come up with your your thought experiment on Schrodinger's Kennedy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's uh, not go there about boxes and stuff like that. Yeah, just just let's let's move on from. <laughs> Yeah, and my uh, sp- my special third guest is Richard Feynman. No, we don't have uh, any more quantum, uh, quantum, uh, quantum physics talk. <laughs> well, before we delve into Alonso and F1, we need to talk about Alonso in Indianapolis because he took a double victory at the Brickyard at the weekend in the Race Legends Trophy. The first came after an epic duel with old teammate Jensen Button while he took the second win after breaking away from 2005 United States Grand Prix podium finisher Thiago Montero in traffic late on. Scott, do you think that will eradicate the bad memories of failing to qualify there last year? 
it certainly um, it, it at least distracts from it, doesn't it? It now means that um, whenever you talk about Alonso and Indy, you can say with uh, with, a, with a degree of uh, seriousness that he he's won there twice on his last visits rather than failed to qualify. So uh, I, 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 I joked um, I joked sort of afterwards that uh, Alonso has obviously now not only won uh, won the triple crown, he's done so emphatically because he's now won Indy twice. Obviously, I'm not saying that this replaces an Indy 500 win, but it is quite cool that Alonso's now a double Formula One champion, a double Le Mans winner, and a double winner of races uh, at Indy. And let's, uh, however majestic and brilliant the Indy 500 is, there will never be an Indy 500 that is just quite like that Legends grid for the for this for the sim race. I'm not saying it's the same. I'm not saying that that makes the sim race better in any way, but to be completely honest that was that was a unique experience and it was great fun to follow well not only were the, were the battles great particularly that button Alonso won in the first race but also just the fact you had Mario Andretti there just absolutely stunning at the age of what is he 80 now the, the the legend that is Mario there running behind them for a chunk in the first race and keeping pace with them that was the uh that was the most impressive thing was once they uh once they got past him I thought oh well obviously Mario's just gonna 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 slip back now and just sort of get swallowed up by uh, blue flags and, and and being lapped and then you're just like he just kept coming back at them it was amazing and you're uh, oh just so so cool you had Emerson Fittipaldi I think running in tenth in race two as well and oh uh, just it's really really cool because obviously a long time ago the um the re- the realities of uh, the human body sort of stopped Andretti from from pursuing his ongoing love of racing and yeah i, I think I, I just saw marco andretti uh marco andretti shared uh, a message on twitter just saying if anything shows just how much mario still loves racing and is a racer at heart it's getting involved at his age in a really competitive online series that these guys have been doing for weeks and weeks and just going and, and like and just not being afraid of showing himself up, and he properly threw himself into it. He let him say he was interviewed and everything. Oh, just just absolutely brilliant. But fair to say that Alonso was absolutely the the star of the show, even though he only got his sim rig what ten ten days before or nine days before. Yeah, hugely impressive from Alonso because he he's obviously approached this with the same rigor he does absolutely everything else you know he was quick last time out at Zandvoort but very Larry and all over the place but at Indy just just did a, a great job but what I was really impressed by is while there were some shunts it wasn't as problematic as I expected it to be we saw some really good clean racing there was a great battle in that pack behind Montero and Alonso with Button Castroneves in it uh, Magnuson I think was the other one uh, just stunning ba- battling yeah, Jason Plato involved as well. I mean, it was so cool, and it was almost like it was it was like vir- like virtual racing mirroring reality. Because whenever I speak to circuit racing converts who go over to the US and race on ovals, they they say that there is just there's just this heightened respect because of the consequences if it goes wrong. And even though even though this was this was virtual, no one's going to suffer um, a horrific injury from a from a from a crash or 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 god forbid even worse but it's like if you look if, if you have that shun on an overwind sim racing that's your race ruined whereas if you get tipped so, like knocked sideways or something at zandvoort or or or, or anywhere in, in a in a normal circuit all that does really is sort of cost you time and it doesn't wreck your race but there just seemed to be this sort of heightened mutual respect amongst the drivers um i think best exhibited by the fact that normally the reverse grid races are utter chaos in the legends trophy but alonso carved his way through the order i think he was in the top 10 by like the end of the second lap maybe even quicker and then just like moved his way through. and, and button was making similarly good progress as well because they both started at the back but alonso just got into just got through quicker it was like a hot knife through butter and then by the time he got to the front he couldn't shake montero off could he i think he whether it was button or montero alonso had his work cut out and it was just it was really, really good to see. Really fun, and just it was genuinely entertaining and genuinely competitive racing. Yeah, I must admit the uh, the Legends Trophy is is the highlight of the esports week for me. I mean, the whole All Star series, powered by Rocket Phones, everything about that, those events really enjoy. Obviously, it's our event, but uh, it's just a it's just a must see. But there's been some great sim racing going on. I was wondering if uh, if Alonso now should try and do the Triple Crown of. Uh, 
of, of esports. You know, there's a Le Mans 24 Hours coming up, isn't there? There's a, there's a Monaco Grand Prix uh, on uh, last night. Yeah, and uh, I think Alonso's got a, got a team entered in that uh, virtual Le Mans 24 Hours in association with uh, with Talk Esports, I think, based on uh, based on the last iteration of the, of the entry list. So that's in the LMP category. So that'll be for the outright win because I think they're using I think all of the LMP cars are, are using the same LMP too. So um, Alonso will be going up against the likes of uh, Penske. Um, I think there's a Rebellion Williams team. Uh, so that that that's quite cool. Who knows? Maybe he will be inspired by the prospect of a virtual uh, triple crown. What would have been really cool is if, um, if, if inspired by by this idea of a virtual triple crown, he'd somehow managed to 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 wing his way onto the grid for Formula One's virtual Monaco Grand Prix. Obviously, uh, Indian Indian Monaco tend to clash in 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 real life, so it is uh, so it was uh, last weekend. But obviously, the beauty of sim racing, you you could have competed in both if you wanted to. Yeah, I think that this is just the the joy of sim racing. We're seeing different drivers in different environments, and yeah, sim racing's a little bit it's a little bit different to real world racing. But the thing I love is just seeing the competitive spirit and the drive and the determination and the camaraderie and respect between drivers. You know, you got a race there with Alonso, Button, Mario Andretti, Emerson, Fittipaldi. You know, a grid you're unfortunately never going to see in in real life. So that's just what's been so much fun about about this hiatus in uh, in motorsport. The one small, tiny upside for uh, what's a very big downside for the whole motorsport world. Yeah, it's been great fun. And as you say, the Legends Trophy, I think, has been uh, probably the most entertaining aspect because it is just so unusual. It is not, uh, you can't replicate it in reality, whereas a lot of the other events, they are just ultimately homages to, to, to real life. And I think... Um, I think fair play to to Alonso because obviously he's he's in the middle of all the um, he's in the middle of a lot of gossip at, at the moment. It would be very easy for him to bury his head in the sand and not want to be not want to be front and centre. But it's just it's classic Alonso, isn't it? I, he you can't keep him out of the, the the spotlight. If there's an opportunity for him to raise something different, he will. And he's just proven he's just really really good at whatever he sets his mind to. Yeah, that's why it's been uh, it's been great to see. Should we quickly hear what Alonso had to say after that race? Uh, he obviously spoke to us in our live coverage. First of all, I think it has been uh, super enjoyable uh, last weekend and uh, this week's practice as well. Every night we we hear with the guys and uh, we chat on, uh, on the group of WhatsApp and uh, you know we try to to put a good show on the weekends. I'm very new on this. I only received the rig. Uh, last Thursday before Zambor um, and yeah after one week and a half I'm still playing with some buttons but uh, yeah it was it was great today and uh, obviously I think good fun always uh, the Indianapolis Speedway. We really enjoyed your fight with Jensen Button in particular in the first race how did you think you had that one because he had the lead going into the last lap almost? Yeah no no obviously I, I was uh, super scared of, uh, of losing the race uh, I know Jenson is a very smart guy and, uh, you know, we're both playing games, uh, trying to be in front or behind and trying to study the other one. But, uh, you know, with Jenson, you never know. He's uh, always one step ahead. And uh, I, I was uh, very worried that uh, the, the wind could sleep. But, you know, it, it was OK. He had a moment in time four, I think one lap before the end. And that was uh, enough of a gap uh, in my case. Well, should we move on to Fernando Alonso's F1 prospects now? We should just have a bit of an update of where everything is at at the moment in terms of our understanding. Is it Alonso's on the the list of Renault possibilities certainly, but but we don't seem to have heard much concrete about where those those uh, those possibilities are at. Yeah, it's amusing because uh, we although we were just joking about it to pick up on on that theme at the moment because Alonso and Renault have said absolutely nothing about it. He both is and isn't in the frame, isn't he? It's it's a peculiar situation whereby the just logic immediately puts Alonso in the picture but then there's obviously understanding behind the scenes and of what Renault want and need and and what Alonso may or may not be thinking so we know that he is at the very least in in the frame it that there will be many factors that, that determine it but I think it was only a couple of weeks ago or, or, or three weeks ago now that, that Alonso was talking about sort of having his having his mind set on what, what he would be doing in, in, in 2021. He has, ever since he announced he would be leaving Formula One at the end of 2018, he has talked openly about the possibility of a return. It was never full-on retirement. It was always going to be whether or not an appropriate or appealing 
proposition emerged that would tempt him back and the situation the circumstances have changed since then there's no technical rules overhaul coming in 21 that's coming a year later but there is a seat available it's not a a team that Alonso would have hoped to be available the situation won't be the same as what he was hoping would would be the situation in 2021 but nonetheless events have shaken out in a slightly unexpected way and here we are discussing the the possibility of a, a third Alonso stint at Renault yeah, well, uh, Alonso, even when he's not in Formula 1, he's uh, a major talking point. Renault's got a lot of candidates to to choose from, so they're in quite a strong position, you would say, that team, and that they're, um, they're a relatively desirable seat for a lot of drivers, should we say, but of course the real, the real question is, is for Alonso. So what, what do you think, Mark? I mean, I, I wrote a, a piece on the race.com, don't forget the hyphen if you had that, uh, arguing that Renault isn't ready for Alonso. He's still a great driver, still capable of winning races and going for titles, but Renault's not and won't be in 2021. So if, if you were sat in the team principal's chair at Enstone, how, how would you see it? How desirable would it be to bring Alonso in? I think if I were in that chair, I would be very concerned about whether the board at corporate Renault was going to approve the budget for us to stay in F1, especially under the current economic circumstances of the world and not money people are going to be buying new cars. So I'd be thinking Alonso would be a great way of giving a really high-profile boost, potentially for not much money. I'll come to that in a moment. And a fantastic level of performance. Um, and I think almost anything else would be a lesser level of performance than we had with Daniel, uh, whereas this would be comparable. So, yeah, I, I take your point that the team isn't yet competitive enough to take full advantage of him, which is pretty much why he parted with McLaren because his presence there applies a pressure that the team hasn't got any answers for. It's a, you know, an unnecessary pressure, arguably. Um, but needs must on both sides. And I think on the money side, the idea would be that he brings the sponsorship with him from which he can be paid what he needs rather than it all being paid by Renault itself. Um, so it would be a substantial saving on what they were paying Daniel. Um, and don't forget, he did bring money with him to Ferrari. Uh, the one thing I will, I will concede with Alonso is that if uh, if he's necessary for the future of the team, then yeah, you you would would want to get him in. But it, but it's difficult, isn't it? Because at this stage, does a team really need a driver like that? Because they also bring distractions. I, I would say that Renault needs to. It can get a short term boost maybe out of bringing him in, but in the long term, there's some big problems there. Alonso will just end up surely just being a a distraction and potentially in the slightly longer term, just to hi- highlight how far that team still has to come in, in much the same way as Ricardo has done. Cause you know, Ricardo turned in some good drives, but has he actually been able to make a, a tangible decisive difference to Renault? I'd argue not in a big way, simply because Renault's just not, not, not in a position to make the most of a driver like that. Well, he's not, he's not made like a, shall we say a $50 million contribution to, to to Renault has he Ricardo you're, you're right he has put in some tremendous performances but ultimately there's only a, a finite gain that that a driver can can make when the car and the team is so fundamentally limited and I think I think what McLaren did in a post Alonso world rebuild itself with two drivers who didn't come with that expectation and pressure and spotlight allowed McLaren a little bit more breathing room to get its house in order. And I almost feel like Renault's at that place now because it's not that you... A team like that shouldn't want to hide or, or need to hide. And it needs to have quality drivers in there to get the most out of whatever the package is. But I, I think when you've got drivers like Esteban Ocon and, and other options, whether it's a Sebastian Vettel or a Nico Hulkenberg coming back in, into the fold, I still think you've got good enough drivers to to, to get the maximum out of the car or close to it every time and I I am probably on your side Ed in this in the sense that I'm not entirely sure Alonso is the best fit for for Renault at the moment yeah I take I take all those points um I would just say that my concern as a team principal would be that there might not be a long term to worry about if we didn't do something dramatic um that would be uh, the attraction of um uh, of Alonso for me in that position I, I I think to just to build on that as well the the one thing that is probably good from a Renault point of view is they've had a massive vote of no confidence from Ricardo haven't they so if you could get Alonso in 
and you could say, well, look, this is a guy who only said he'd come back if there was a serious option for him. He clearly thinks we're a serious option. That's good internal PR at Renault, and it's also a good message to the team. It's a good message to the board. It's a good message to to, to the people outside as well. Yeah, I think it, it does come down to what the overall order of pressures is, should we say. If if Renault still needs to be pulled over the line, Alonso would do it. Well, of course, you, you'd bring Alonso in, no no question. But that still wouldn't necessarily mean that in terms of the, the best chance for that team, that that would be the ideal trajectory. Ideally, you'd have Renault support and you'd be able to go through step by step. It's, it's a it's in a strange place, Renault. It's not a team that seems to be very comfortable with with itself and where it is and what it needs to do, etc. Which is kind of why I'd, I would like the idea of a slightly lower profile season because they've got they've got to get that team in order to get it working. Because it's a strange one. They've got the constituent parts at Renault. They've got you know they've they've not got a the absolute biggest budget, but they've got plenty of money. They've invested well in facilities. Very high quality people throughout that team but it's still a team that's kind of bedding in and and settling down should we say my concern if I was in uh, in if I was to borrow your team principals chair uh, that I just gave you uh, Mark would be that kind of six seven races in suddenly all all Alonso's presence not even necessarily from what Alonso is saying or how he's acting but just it's just a constant relentless reminder of, of the team the team shortcomings at, at this stage so that that's the the on a way I see it, but it, it is influenced very heavily, of course, by the by the question of where the board sees things. And you've got to say, Renault was not entirely delighted with Formula One even before uh, the world fell apart. So the past few months will have changed things uh, a, a great deal. Yeah, and there's also the question of the the reset of the regulations, which um, in it being delayed a, a year, um, it, it delays that. Wiping of the slate clean of uh, the how um, the 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 built up advantage of the the bigger teams um, uh, will play out. So, in a way, um, that that's counting against Alonso because his his reasoning was that the the new regulations would offer him the opportunity of a competitive car, even if he wasn't in one of the current top teams. And that's uh, the, the the regulation delays put that back by at least a year. So. That doesn't help, but and on the other hand, this may be the window of opportunity, the only window of opportunity he's going to get to to come back in. So um, I would imagine he's still considering it very seriously. We know Alonso wants to come back. He wants one last crack at glory. Runner can't currently offer him that. So what is in it for Alonso? If you were sat in uh, in Alonso's uh, in Alonso's uh, office, advising him as manager, what would you be saying? Well. We know that Flavio Briatore's made some some noises, hasn't he? Saying that that Alonso is motivated. He says he's detoxed from from Formula One and he's ready to to come back. But you know, at, at the heart of this question is at what cost? I, I guess from Alonso's point of view, sort of to touch on what what Mark said, this is a this is the best opportunity he's got to come back in 2021. And while while it wouldn't be for success in 2021, I, I don't think Alonso's comeback would have been a, a one-year return anyway. So you're then looking at, okay, it's at least a two-year thing, maybe three years, and then Alonso's either going to be in, in with Renault when Renault's got its house in order and nails the new rules, which I, I think is, is slightly unlikely, um, or he's at least back in the paddock and in the picture for the 2022 silly season. Um, and I just think it's sort of a now or never for Alonso to come back because if he doesn't return in 2021, it'll be another season out on the sidelines. And I just think he's out of the picture entirely by that point. Yeah, I think that's a, a good part of the argument for Alonso in that you need to get back in the game, don't you? I think two years out, you can kind of deal with, but he may well see it as a way to to get back in contention. How, how would you see it, Mark? Yeah, I'd, I'd uh, agree with that. Um, he's he's thirty eight years old now. Um, if he's waiting another year, you know, he's thirty nine, turning forty mid season. So, yeah, July birthday thing. So yeah, he's he's about to come up to thirty nine in July. So um, another year, he's about to come up to forty. It's still, you know. He can still perform at a high level at that, that age, but um, you know, time is um, the clock is ticking down. There's no, there's no question about that. So um, the priority, I would have thought, is to get back in uh, while there's a window of opportunity there. 
I also think, or well, at least wonder whether or not Alonso's found that the grass isn't as green as he thought it would be outside of, of Formula One. Obviously, the the Weck and Le Mans success has been tremendous, but he's also had the his indie dreams have been scuppered, haven't they? He's had the um, the awkwardness of, of failing to qualify for the 500. He's been vetoed from 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 joining a leading Honda team to do it. He's got no interest in doing IndyCar as a full season because he doesn't want to do ovals. So. He's tried. He's tried the Dakar, which all credit to him for doing these things. But the the Weck success, Le Mans success, was however much he wants to ham it up. It's it's been a, a Toyota only party over the course of the, the the season when he became champion. So it's not that's not quite the that's not quite the success it looks on 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 paper. As harsh as it is to say, he hasn't achieved what he wanted to in Indy so I just wonder if that's helped sort of raise the appetite a little bit for him to come back to to Formula One because if he was having these multiple projects on the go outside and he was achieving what he wanted to or had the opportunity to achieve what he wanted to would he want to come back in the same position that he left? Also the the opportunities outside Formula One will presumably be further restricted by the the global situation because people won't be able to necessarily afford to put a driver like Alonso in and, and he may run the risk of becoming a kind of high class Jacques Villeneuve if he uh, if he continues on this path and end up you know a few years down the line <laughs> scrabbling around in Euro NASCAR or something still being brilliant but uh, <laughs> but not really having the career he wants uh, so yeah Alonso may have uh, little choice in this and I guess he'll also see it as an opportunity to show his availability for other teams as well that he's still current he still knows what he's doing he can still deliver I I do feel like two years out is kind of the amount you can get away with once it creeps up to a third year then people will say well he's been out for this long etc what's he lost what I mean Lewis Hamilton talked about this when he was talking about the appeal of a sabbatical and he said that even if you lose a year you you lose some of that continuity of knowledge of the technology etc so Alonso will be will be conscious of needing to rebuild that it's it's a funny situation really because I would say I can see why it works for Alonso because he does need to get himself back in the game. It certainly works for Formula One because he's a megastar driver. I personally would like to see Fernando Alonso back in Formula One. It's only really Renault that I'm not sure, setting aside the question of it of the team future, if it shores it up, sure, go for it. It's only really the question of whether he's the ideal man for Renault that, that raises any questions over it for me. Mark, do you think Alonso might see it? Might see this more as a kind of necessary evil that that he's not necessarily got confidence in Renault, but he'll think, well, at least I can do a year here, and then if a Mercedes or a Red Bull or a Ferrari driver or whatever comes up and they need a driver, they can they can come back to me. Yeah, I mean, he's always been very mercenary in how he plans his career. He's not someone that um, really uh, looks to get himself involved in the fabric of a team and then sort of um, bring it work together to bring the whole thing forward he's just he just he has um uh, expectations and demands of a, a level of performance that he, he needs to show how good he believes himself to be um so that's that's worked against him and it, it continues probably to work against him now um but i think if you uh, had him in the car you'd probably um there'd probably be days where you forgot all about that because he could just bring you bring you things that um Hardly anybody else could. Yeah, there's no doubt there'll be some uh, some great drives. Well, let's look at Alonso a little bit more broadly. Um, he's he's a driver who's talked about almost more for what he does off track than on it, which really is a shame because he is a phenomenal driver. So, Mark, in general terms, what what would you say makes Alonso so good? He can adapt himself to any handling trait and just bully the car to a lap time. He, he's not a driver. You'll ever hear talking about a car not working with a driving style. He, he can do pretty much the same lap time with two fundamentally different setups. You know, If there's a, a problem with the car, he can adapt himself to it in a way the engineers can't even begin to comprehend sometimes. So I, I recall it. Hockenheim one year, he had a bit of debris stuck under the wing, under the front wing. And they could see from the loadings on the car that the, the aero balance had shifted by 18%. That's a crazy number. You, you'd typically be adjusting to up to maybe 2% on settings. He just kept going like that. He lost a bit of lap time, obviously, but nothing drastic. Then the debris dislodged, dislodged itself after about 10 laps and went back to normal. So he did something like 10 laps with it in, in that state. And I recall after the race, engineer Pat Simmons, he was saying, I've no idea how he could even keep it on the track like that. There's no other, no other driver would have been able to do that. They would have brought, brought just brought the car in. 
even more impressively than that, though, you can do it all day long at that level. I mean, doing anything to the outer edges of your ability requires immense brain energy, and, and the natural tendency is to just back away a little bit from the absolute edge to give your brain a, a bit of a rest. And but he doesn't seem to need to do that. He can keep doing it like that, which hardly anyone else can do. Um, he seems to have found a way of performing at the absolute outer edges that he can just sit at that level for as long as required. Um, and in a wheel to wheel, he's almost impossible to beat unless your car's light, light years quicker. You know, the way he places himself, the extra sense he seems to have of where he needs to be on the track. And then he still has this passion in his driving that you see when he's in the, in the middle of a fight. It's remarkable after all this time. And you see it even when he's you know, fighting for seventh rather than eighth, just as much as he would if he was fighting for the win. I don't um I don't tend to to cast judgment on on things on a question like how good Alonso is obviously I didn't witness firsthand the the majority of his his career um and the McLaren he was saddled with in 2018 it became apparent over the course of the season that it wasn't quite it was certainly not worthy of his uh, his talents but in the first few races I remember thinking I'm pretty sure this car's not quite as good as this and yet Alonso was making it look quite quite good and i i one of the other things i try to to avoid doing is make sort of flippant comparisons to to things from the past but one of the one of the sort of iconic images i think for formula one fans sort of just just from a historical and driver point of view is obviously Gilles Villeneuve doing something flamboyant and one of them in particular is him being a little bit reckless and getting trying to get back to the pits with the tire off of the the, the rim entirely and just generally doing something that you just think this looks quite spectacular, but I don't think you should be doing this. I remember sort of thinking that was a little bit similar with Alonso in Baku last year, because, uh, in 2018, sorry, because he he actually did a pretty good job of getting a ridiculously broken car back to the pits in the in the first place after was it first lap contact I think that gave him a pun- puncture. But then obviously in the process of getting the car back to the pits, which already looks like how is he doing this because this looks like a real handful he then does further damage to the car. And I remember at the time it was, there was obscene amounts of, of damage aerodynamically to the car. I think it was costing, they estimated it was, it was a loss of around like 20 points of downforce or something like this, like worth half a second. And Alonso got back out on track and was absolutely rapid. I can't remember off the top of my head where he finished in that race, but that was a, even, even at the sort of the end of what was his career in F1, unless he comes back, there's still these Herculean moments that seem absolutely extraordinary. Yeah, I think that capacity that you've both talked about there is because Alonso's not kind of a, a classicist as a driver, shall we say. He's not a classical style in that he can adapt. He, he does adapt his style to, to everything. And I think I kind of liken him to... You, you see in a lot of sports where you see people who are great at them, but they're not necessarily classically technically correct shall we say because Alonso puts himself in situations with the car where it has to rely on a an, an amazing amount of car control and feel and precision to make it work and for 99% of drivers that would be that would become overdriving because they wouldn't be able to deal with it but with Alonso it, it just happens I remember there was a, a good example a few years ago I remember it might have been 2018 in practice at Suzuka when it was quite gusty in the S's it might not have been exactly the same but I remember Alonso had a moment in uh, through the snake, which he managed to gather up, and Hulkenberg had a almost identical moment. Okay, the wind would probably have been a tiny bit different, and he he lost it and went off and, and found the barrier. But it's just because Alonso's got that that ability that ability to respond and react that makes him makes him different and allows him to have all these different driving styles. You know the way he was getting around the limitations of the McLaren, the way he drove the Renault back in the day with the uh with a ridiculous driving style because he understood what the the slip angle of the front uh the front michelin's allowed him to do and again it was a style that 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 kind of in if you apply classical rules to it didn't really work but he could make it work and he understands the reasons why you can play to to certain limiting factors and i think that that for me is what's so phenomenal about alonso i think mark he's he's up there with the kind of the greatest in terms of just that pure that pure car control because living on his wits is something that he has to do to make the way he drives the way he commits to corners work and he makes it work almost all the time 
yeah, he's, he's improvising in the moment in a way that uh, very few others do. Um, I've seen countless examples of um, the things that you described there. And um remember one year, and uh, I think it was when he was at McLaren, uh, the, the second time. Um, the it, car really was a bit um, uh, reluctant to go through to back the way he wanted it to do. And uh, <laughs> the way he was getting around it was extraordinary. And uh, what he was doing with the brakes and... Um, it was just, yeah, he, it, it, that's what it is. He just, he's, he's improvising the whole time, uh, just instinctively, he knows what to do. Um, and then, so he's not, like most drivers know what they need from the car and they're constantly trying to get the car to do that. Um, which is, you know, the, that, that's the classical way of doing it. Um, he, he was still, he, he still does that. He's still chasing up an, an ideal balance for him. In, in terms of how he's working with the team, but once he's in the car, that that's all you know. He, he's got what he's got, and he, that that's when he's at his most brilliant is just dealing with what he's got. What what I find fascinating here in the two of you talk about that element of Alonso and that that driving style is how much it how much it sort of clashes with the the data driven way of of driving, particularly in this in this era. It's, fascinating to me because it shows that Alonso is not only succeeding in this slightly unusual way but he's he's succeeding almost like despite it because given the era that he's been competing in because Lewis Hamilton has spoken quite a lot about not liking the sort of uh, like data sharing within teams and the fact that so many drivers now basically you're just fed perfect data from the very best and then basically you just practice until you can do it you you get told the the breaking points you get told the 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 turning points you get told the steering angle you get told uh, to what extent you need to bleed off the brake into a corner and and all these things and eventually as, as lewis has spoken about before the thing that depresses him is that eventually anyone could probably do his lines and 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 uh, and get close to his lap time because you're bench of, you're ultimately following a, a template but and and that is the world that, that that we live in now because you can't unlearn all of these things you've got this opportunity to make drivers better and better and better but it's not just a case of other drivers following a template and getting close to someone like Hamilton like Alonso doesn't seem to adhere to this template what whatsoever i feel like if you gave someone it sounds to me anyway like if you gave like a readout of alonso's data that would not be you would not be able to replicate that honestly yeah there have been drivers who've been confronted with that and there, there's points in it that the kind of highest stressed highest loaded points where you're having to do the most to keep the car doing what you want it to do are the, are the bits where the whole thing kind of breaks down so yeah I think Alonso does offer that that phenomenal kind of balance of if he understands what he's doing and what he wants the car to do, etc. But he's also willing and able to 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 kind of adapt to it, and that that makes him formidable in a, across a range of cars because he's able to make the car work the best it needs to work to get the the most uh, most pace out of it. I mean, from from that perspective, he's of a lot of the top drivers, Mark, he's a good guy to have in a midfield team because you know, no matter what limitations you're battling against, and sometimes you just get cars that are all around low on downforce but are quite well balanced. Sometimes you do get clear limitations and weaknesses that have to be worked around. So, for example, in the case of a Renault, I don't think there'd be any doubt about the fact he'd be able to work with the car and extract the most from it because of those characteristics that he offers. Yeah, that, that's true. And the the possible downside that you might hear from a team or an engineer, not not specifically about him, but about um, the, 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 having a, a driver that can adapt to anything, is that it doesn't um, push um, hard enough in a in a, a direction that's going to keep um, improving the car. And there 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 were there, there have been doubts expressed about whether um, Alonso is the best guy for that and how much that that um, ability to improvise dulled perhaps um, Ferrari's um, 
progress in during, during his time there. Um, I don't know. You'd really, really need to be inside the fabric of the team to to know how much that is true or whether it's just a, a theory that, that doesn't hold water. I, I, I really don't know. But it, it's it's you can think it's it's feasible. It's possible. Um, and I remember talking to uh, Carlos Sainz. I think I talked about this in another podcast um, when Alonso tested the the McLaren at Bahrain after he'd after he'd already left, but they wanted a, a second opinion on it, and they got him in the car in Bahrain. And uh, I, I was asking Carlos, did he say the same things as you about the car? And he said, no, actually, no. He said it for him. It was <clears throat> he was still complaining about a rear instability. And Carlos was saying, "No, I prefer it to to have that because um, it gives gives me the direction change." So it's, I think he, he does have his own. Um, even though he can drive anything, he, he does have his own preference for what he what he wants. But whether that's the most productive um, direction in terms of overall car performance, I, I don't know. And it would be very interesting to get more and more in depth um, with engineers that he's worked with, perhaps in the past, rather than. Um, you know the, the the ones he's working with at any particular time, because obviously you get um, you you have the confidentiality problem then. Um, but to drill down a bit more into that, because that's the one question mark I would have over him. Um, not that, and it would be a tiny one, but um, he has all the compensating qualities. Yeah, it's it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting question, and certainly those who've worked with him in the past, you, you do sometimes get some slightly mixed reports about him on a number of. Uh, a number of areas because he can get a little bit. Uh, there've been moments where he can, for the most part, he's quite relentless in races. But there are there have been occasions when the kind of frustrations come in, and he's got a bit uh, belligerent. I like to call it, where you know he tries to hang around the outside of people for no reason, and and kind of compromises races uh, like that. So that's the other thing that some that occasionally rears its head as a negative in a difficult team situation that only really happens when when the team's struggling. So that's another thing that might uh, worry Renault. But like you say, these are these are fairly fairly minor points. But he's, I think the thing that surprised me with him is how rarely he comes a cropper, shall we say, given the way he drives, because he, he does put himself in uh, in difficult positions. I guess the w- one time that stands out that, do- that does go wrong, I remember when we were at Monaco in 2010. And uh, if memory serves, you, you, you watched on Thursday up at Massonet. I remember you commenting on this, how kind of little margin for error Alonso was leading himself because you come over the brow, you have to let the car settle before kind of uh, turn, turning into the entry to Casino. But eventually in FP3, that way he was driving caught him out and he hit the wall, damaged the chassis and had to start from the back. And that, that's one of the that's one of the sort of few times when that that kind of extreme on the edge approach has, has caught him out. And and as you pointed out, I if memory serves, I didn't watch there in, in perhaps I was elsewhere, but you absolutely saw that coming. So that that's kind of where maybe you think, well, if you could see that coming, perhaps that's an area where just Alonso occasionally just needs to dial it back. But again, we're talking, these are hypercriticisms really. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I, I remember the, the time you're talking about and um, it, it wasn't so much that I saw it coming. It was that I was, um, impressed that uh, he was able to um, be so obviously close to the edge with hardly any any margin for error um, and I you know I, I just assumed it was um, he had it all fully under control um, but then the uh, next session uh, yeah cl- he clanged in, he clanged in at the barrier there yeah it's just just one that always uh, sort of stands out in the uh in the memory, it's actually it's what, it's what the one thing that's a bit of a shame that we didn't have Monaco this weekend. There's a lot of things about the wider Monaco Grand Prix I don't like, but being able to watch Grand Prix drivers in action around the streets of Monaco up close is absolutely incredible. And anyone who says that circuit doesn't deserve to be on the calendar, I think uh, I, th- I think needs to take a bit of a bit of a closer look. Although I should add that they don't necessarily have the, quite the privilege we do of seeing it quite so close. But I digress there. Anyway, we should Scott talk a little bit more about what Alonso brings off track because this is where the 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 strongest Alonso critics really hit hard I think even the most ardent supporter will concede he's at times been a negative influence within teams so where do you stand on Alonso's capacity to create as Christian Horner once put it chaos yeah as uh again as someone who missed out on the vast majority of his career in terms of look being able to witness it close um I'm 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 perhaps a bit sheltered from the um, 
from the appreciation of Alonso's greatness because I saw I saw his final season with uh, with McLaren. I saw what I felt at the time, and I I still believe that I just felt that McLaren was so focused on satisfying Alonso that it lost track of what it needed to do as a race team and. That, that's as much McLaren's fault as it is Alonso's. Uh, he certainly can't be held responsible for, for a team's entire failings, but it does tally with this sort of, he sometimes is a bit larger than life uh, because of his reputation, because of what he demands from other people and because of how he conducts himself. And I think um, Nico Rosberg talked quite interestingly uh, fairly recently about um, when he was joining the Mercedes works team and he knew he'd be alongside Michael Schumacher and he said he was really worried because he thought that because Schumacher's like godlike, he would end up manipulating the team in his favour and just doing little things just to get an edge and make sure that everything's in his way. He, he called Schumacher a, a psychological warrior and I think that absolutely applies to, to Alonso because whether it's whether it's what he does on track or what he says off it, because he's obviously he's perfectly capable of playing the game, he knows how to work the media in his favour, he knows where to direct a bit of pressure and, 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 you know, start to sort of flex his muscles. Whether it's his on-track behaviour or off-track behaviour, he puts pressure on the people around him. He puts pressure on his team and he puts pressure on his teammate. And that is not always the most productive way of going Grand Prix racing. In Formula One, you need often success is gained because everyone's pulling in the same direction and there's there's harmony. And I I'd feel like the crux of it is that Alonso is maybe not the most harmonious person to, to have around. I mean, we have seen Mark plenty of times when Alonso has made it clear he expects things to be done his way. He wants the team built around him. He's had little flare ups in the past. I mean, even if you go right back to the Renault days, um, was it in China where he got irritated about Fisichella? And then you saw a little bit um, in 2004 when Jano Trulli was beating him early in the season. Just these little things where he, he kind of needs to stamp his authority within teams. That, that, that does seem to be part of his way of doing things. That it, it, It's kind of his way or the highway almost. Yeah, he does have these, I would call them competitive flashpoints um, where um, he just he is so frustrated with um, not not being able to do what he can see should be possible um, that he yeah he, he, he just he loses uh, he loses control in terms of um, uh, what he's saying to the people around him um, it's interesting Seb has the same things but he has he tends to have them in the car and out of the car is um, you know everybody loves him um, and he, ha- he tends to have his flashpoints, these meltdowns in the car, whereas Fernando has them out and never in the car. Um, it's not. I think it's a bit, this aspect of him is a little bit misunderstood. It, it's not like he's permanently furious and everybody's walking around him on eggshells. He's a quiet, nice guy in most situations, but he is he's quite specific on what he needs um, in terms of uh, you know, something to compete with. And and so you do get these um, these occasional flashpoints. Um, I think uh, I didn't hear about them in any of them uh, last time round at McLaren. So maybe he's managed to control them a bit better than um, in his earlier years. And, and I would say that um, first time round at McLaren, his um, his reaction to uh, what what he felt were broken promises. Um, from from the team, uh, effectively compromised the rest of his career because it was um, very simplistic thinking um, and very emotionally driven thinking, and um, he, he subsequently pulled back from his his reaction and apologised. But it, it, the, the damage had been done, and I think that was he's he's never his career's never really caught up from Hungary 2007 from the afternoon of qualifying in Hungary 2007 and it's he's he's constantly been just trying to get back on the back of um the the career that it sh- could and should have been um, rather than uh, what he's got and that that's definitely part of of the the, the whole um that is Fernando Alonso but it it's maybe something he's been able to tend to because, as I say, that you didn't hear of any of those sort of flashpoints um, in his second time round at McLaren. The only thing you heard was the the radio 
comments of frustration, um, which obviously would were damaging um, to him as well, because um, it meant that Honda was no longer uh, going to be helpful once he'd finished there. The the my only I I think he has sort of been humbled a little bit by what he went through towards the the final final years of that that spell in in Formula One, and I wonder if the sort of events away from Formula One have helped that as well. My my only concern is that he was he was so much the priority at McLaren. It's difficult to see what he could have had to sort of complain about really, because he what once it became established that the team wasn't going to just wasn't capable of giving him the car he needed, whether that was with Honda and then obviously the eye-opening season when they left Honda and switched to Renault. Um, I wonder if Alonso had just sort of almost made his peace with that. And if that's the case, that does bode well for the for the comeback with, with Renault because it just it might have just softened softened the the edges. Um, the one thing I was the one thing I do wonder, and this isn't maybe the most sort of pressing of concerns, but just curious to get your your two respective points on it obviously Alonso is no stranger to talking up his own achievements and I lost count of the number of times in 2018 I heard about the best qualifying lap of his career or the best performance of his career but there were moments where it was justified like Baku where I think he said that was an unrepeatable drive he wouldn't be able to to do that do that again but if you were in the team with with Alonso would you would you sort of go yep okay yeah no fair enough we can see that on the data he's done a mega job or would it would it great would it sort of grind you down a little bit to just hear your driver constantly talking up how brilliant he is and not necessarily how good a job the team is doing or talking how great he is and pointing out the flaws within the team well i know from uh, going back a bit when he left Renault the second time so to go to ferrari in 2010 there were some people who worked with him at Renault who did kind of privately admit to finding him a bit frustrating at times because he was kind of presenting the, yeah, I'm doing a brilliant job, but we're not quite there. And, and that did create a few little areas of, of friction. I, I don't think anyone in teams will will doubt how high level Alonso's performing at. But yeah, the, the this will be one of my worries for Renault, just the tendency of even not, even if he doesn't say anything about it, just the tendency that it will just highlight where your where your team is at and you know he were, he isn't afraid of talking himself up with miracle laps and all and all that sort sort of thing i mean th- there was an interesting um feature a few a few years ago that that uh, the f1 journalist ben anderson a former colleague of a few of us uh wrote that ran in uh, autosport magazine in which he interviewed various people about alonso and there, there was a really great insight from pat simmons who worked with alonso at renault he talked about him as a bit of a loner, said that, that it's more about what the team offers him than being kind of part of the team. But there's there's a, a great quote about uh, him where Patsman says, when he came back to Renault in 2008, he got himself into a position where the only thing he could do was come back, which is something he does time and time again. He leaves himself without options. We've been talking about how clever he is. Well, in life, he's not that clever. Now, that quote's in the context of the fact they were talking about his engineering intelligence, etc. And I think maybe that, your question there, Scott, highlights where Alonso perhaps has neglected things a little bit in the past in terms of the way he's worked with people, etc. He's very he works brilliantly with people that are on his same wavelength that he trusts, etc. Um, but I think probably the lesson he's learned, which I think maybe Mark you're alluding to, perhaps as well, is that I guess as we all kind of do, you have to learn how to get on a, the right wavelength with more people because sometimes there's sometimes there's people you just don't think are very good at things and that's one thing but other times there's people who are good but you, the way you communicate them with them and the way you interact with them necessarily has to be different to get the best out of them and get a good relationship so i wonder if that's kind of the area where the older alonso perhaps has has lost a little bit of that uh, that problematic edge should we say what do you think mark I think I think he probably has. That's that's my impression from the outside of the last few years. Um, but yeah, he, he, he definitely lacked emotional te- intelligence. Let's say um, earlier in his career, even even when he was flying high. Um, in fact, especially when he's flying high. Um, and I think he's maybe got a more realistic view of the world now than um, when he was flying so high. Yeah, but, and that's one thing you're going to have to have if you do go and drive for Renault is have a realistic view of the world because that's going to be a a, a, a tough task. But just in general terms, I mean, I mentioned earlier, I'd like to see Alonso back in Formula One and he'd be, he'd be good for Formula One. And what do you think, Scott? Do you think 
it's a no-brainer in terms of the overall appeal of Formula One to have Alonso back in. I mean, there are, uh, I've seen a few people on Twitter saying to me that, oh, you know, why look back to the old drivers, you know, give the young guys a chance. Do you have any sympathy with that perspective? Um, it's not, I don't think it's a simple yes and no, because one of the cons, I suppose, to Alonso coming back is that it doesn't really, it doesn't really reflect very well on Renault's academy. There's, there's, it's still not, it's still not producing a, a driver that's going to jump into Formula One. You've got two candidates there in, in uh, Guan Yu Zhou and, and Christian Lungard, who are the, probably the best placed. Zhou's been in Formula Two for a season already. This would have been his sophomore year, I think. Uh, Lungard is a graduate to F2, so he's not ready, even though Renault do think very highly of him. But at the same time, neither of those are Leclerc, Russell, Norris level drivers. Not, although at least they're not. They don't look quite as as prepared. Maybe if if this season had happened or started the way it should have done, we'd be a few races in. I think to the to the F two season by now, we'd have we'd have obviously by the time this podcast comes out, we'd have just had Monaco. So if if Joe or, or or even Lundgaard as a rookie had started the F two season explosively, you could have made a more compelling argument for that. But. I only really see Alonso taking a seat away from someone young if there is someone spectacular there to to take that seat in his place. And I'm, I'm not really convinced that's an option. So as long as my concern with it is, is that is as long as Alonso doesn't have a negative impact on Ocon, who is a tremendous talent, and whether it's at Renault or, somewhere, or Mercedes further down the line because he has his, his ties there, he has someone who has a great Grand Prix career in front of him as long as he's not utterly derailed. And obviously Alonso completely demolished Stoffel Van Dorn's Formula 1 career. So my concern at this stage is more about what Alonso does if he joins Renault alongside someone like Ocon as opposed to taking away a seat from another young driver because I just don't see there being anyone quite there who's who's worth putting in ahead of Alonso. Yeah, this isn't just some old experienced driver who's had a few Grand Prix wins. It's, it's an all-time great in Alonso, isn't it? What, what do you make of that possibility, Mark, the, the question of how Alonso would combine with Ocon? We've seen Ocon can be abrasive himself as well in the past as well. So that that's a combustible blend, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's very, very combustible potentially. Um, I think um, Ocon seems to share a few of Alonso's uh, traits, actually. So um, it would be fascinating to, to watch, but um, possibly a little bit uh, disruptive for the team. Uh, so that's that's another thing to be considered. But, you know, if he's bringing performance, we, it, it, it will give you the um, well, benchmark Ocon wanted, it's the un- ultimate benchmark. So if it turns out that he did say, for example, I'm not saying this is going to happen, but if it, if he did to Ocon what he did to Stoffel, um, then you would say, well, okay, we would never have found that out had we not brought Fernando in. So there is some level, uh, level of performance beyond what we've got. And in terms of is he keeping new guys out? Well, yeah, he potentially is. But those, if you think back to when Fernando was one of those young guys and looking at his sensational form not just in Formula 3000 but in, in when he was testing the car there was he was absolutely unbelievably good and you would think there's no way this guy um, should be left out of Formula 1 He's the, the, there has to be a way found of getting him in because he's so brilliant um, so you know the, those young guys have got to make a case for themselves as well If when you've got quality operators like Alonso still on the market exactly you have to uh you have to force your way in, don't you? If, and, and a driver of Alonso's level, if there's a 22-year-old Alonso around, they, they will force their, their way in, provided they're generally in, in the F1 orbit. So, I mean, final question. Just have a have a, a quick yes-no. For Scott, for Scott first, do you think Alonso will come back with Renault in 2021? This is this is a prediction, not a inside information breaking news thing. It's just a, it's what's your best guess? Yeah, I, I, I think he will. I think um, I think Renault's going to be in need of uh, extra reason to, to to believe in its project. One final roll of the dice. I think Alonso is in a position where he wants to come back, and I think he'll use this not necessarily as the end point, but he will view it as an opportunity to put himself back in the mix. If it works, it's a gamble that's paid off. If it isn't, he hasn't lost anything. Mark, are you of the same mind? 
I think we'll see him back next year. Um, and I think the circumstances of both Renault and Alonso um, mean that they need each other at the moment. Well, let's certainly hope Alonso comes back. I'm not entirely sure Renault need him quite uh, quite so much, but you know, it's good for it's good for us. It's good for Formula One. It's probably good for Fernando Alonso, and you can argue it's good for Renault. Although uh, I'd, I'd argue the other way. So uh, yeah, you know, for Formula One, any any kind of sporting category needs its superstars, and Alonso's a, a genuine superstar. And as we hopefully we've explained in this podcast, that there's there's reasons why he should really be appreciated as a driver for all the myth and controversy and question marks that inevitably engulf him. Uh, do head to the race.com and don't forget the hyphen plenty to read there from uh, from myself from scott mitchell and from mark hughes including if you want to hear more of my argument on why renault doesn't need alonso but there's loads more stuff there scott's done a piece about what makes lewis hamilton so good mentally and his, his self-confidence mark did a good piece about why things so often end badly for drivers at ferrari in the wake of uh, of vettel's uh, announcement that his ferrari career will be coming to an end do subscribe to this podcast and any of our others the gary anderson f1 show bring back v10s we've got an esports and a moto gp and a formula e podcast as well and check out our youtube channel as well well thanks for listening uh, we'll be back with more race f1 podcast soon